Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Nerd Night. I am your host, Cole, and today, me and my co-host, Jada, are going to be sitting down and discussing our first. We figured this would be a great way to introduce ourselves to you guys, talking about the things that first made an impact on us and brought us into nerd culture. So if you want to sit down and join this journey with us, then cuddle up for another great night of Nerd Night. Jada, what are we here today to do for all the children? Um, Well, first we have to greet these so-called children. So hello, hello. My name is Jada. I am the co-host of Nerd Night, and this beautiful, silky, smooth voice that you hear with me is my co- my host, Cole. Oh, trust me, they've already heard my voice a couple of times already. <laughs> Here is Nerd Night, um, where me and Cole come together and talk all things nerd, including but not limited to anime, movies, and video games. This is true. This is what we do. Mm -hmm. On a daily. You hit the nail. (laughs) Oh, uh, uh, on the (laughs) freaking. By the way, everybody, just as we move further into the podcast, spoiler alert for things that are going to happen and what we're going to talk about. We will introduce them as we get into the segments. But then also... Uh, this is a PG-13 to higher podcast. Uh, there will be explicit language, maybe mm-hmm. some like sexual or graphic conversations being talked about. And so just putting that out there, if you're okay hearing that, if you're not okay hearing it, turn the volume down so your mom doesn't hear and that's that's the goal you know just you be okay with it everyone else doesn't have to hear it it's fine <laughs> we're not trying to touch everyone we're just trying to touch you that sounded weird <laughs> <laughs> but anyways we're here jada as we heard from my beautiful intro that i recorded by mm-hmm. myself because uh, yeah. it took you a week to get in Technical um, difficulties are a real thing, okay? It's <laughs> not my fault. Jada, I'm going to let you have the floor. We know we're talking about our first. So why don't you enlighten us and let us know what was your first anime? Yeah, Um. so a little background. Um. I came from just like, so the TV shows I used to watch as a kid were like, you know, Dora, Spongebob. <laughs> The classics, you know, the, the classic queen, Dora. Right. That was my girl. And um, it kind of went more into like Power Rangers. And then I used to watch it with my brother. So then somehow, some way, I'm scrolling on Netflix um, one night. This is 12-year-old Jada, maybe 11. Um, and something pops up and it is the beautiful... Uh, the glamorous Princess Tutu. Um, Apps in the chat for Princess Tutu. <laughs> it's it's a it's a real anime. I promise it is. Oh my gosh, my dog. Um, and it was my life. It introduced me to anime. It introduced me to this awesome world, and I loved it every single second of it. And Jada. I wish to say that with you. Yes. So I'm going to ask you some questions about Princess Tutu so that the people can get more acquainted with what I'm assuming is a her. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Beautiful, stunning, beautiful. Um, Do we have confirmed pronouns? Uh, Yes, she, her. That is her pronouns. Beautiful. Also, my pronouns are he, him, Jada. Oh, still she, her. Yeah. Beautiful. So, Jada, when you were watching Princess Tutu, you said you were like 11 or 12? Mm-hmm, pretty much. Okay. How did you find it? Were you on live TV and you saw it? Were you just going through the internet? What brought you 
to Princess Tutu. No, like I, I haven't at that age, I didn't do a lot, you know, like it wasn't, I was literally like on the family computer. It was late. It was, I was by myself and I was scrolling through Netflix. And usually I have like my normal little animated movies that I watch. And I'm just like, Hmm, what can I do? What can I watch? And then I saw this goddess come forth to me. And I'm just like, this is the best thing ever. Why has no one told me about this? So yeah, it was really like I I stumbled into the anime community. I was not pulled. I was not um, gracefully sat down. I was not led by anyone. I literally tripped over and now I'm here. A train wreck. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. <laughs> Beautiful, stunning. So... You stumble upon Princess Tutu, right? Mm-hmm. What originally piqued your interest? What was the qualities that this show possessed that brought you to Princess Tutu? Um, it was a lot of things. I think there was a bunch of things that kind of meshed together that I really loved. Um, but I'll tell you, like big two things is one I'm a reader so just remembering the first episode and how it like pulls you into the story my little reader mind was just like oh my god yes and then also I believed 100% without a doubt that I was the best ballerina out there um even though I had went to only one class with my sister and cried after because I hated that I had to do the splits. But I was the best ballerina. I was. No one could tell me otherwise. And here I was seeing this anime all about ballerinas and story. And I was just like, let's go. I, so I, I'm ready. You were still, were you still like, it came at you, you were intrigued by it, you saw it, the first episode caught your eye. Was that like during a time you were like interested in ballerinas and like ballet so that like also helped to draw you in well no I mean I I had by the time I was done with this one class that I took I still had a love and respect for ballerinas and I just you know I I grew up being just in love with princesses in general so I thought ballerinas were just princesses that could dance on their toes so (laughs) I just, I've always loved it. And it just came to be that this anime was created just for ballerinas. And I was, I was ready for it. Okay. So you start watching Princess Tutu. Mm -hmm. What is kind of the story we're talking about here? Like, give us the cliff notes of Princess Tutu. Yeah, I mean, it's not. And what I've noticed with anime in general is that most stories get rewritten, just, you know, they might add something different. So this wasn't a different story. You know, Princess Tutu is another magic girl anime, which a magic girl anime is just a girl that has some sort of device or some sort of tool that changes her into this super girl. So Princess Tutu wasn't different. You know, you had this uh, well, I can't even say this regular girl because she wasn't a girl when we first meet her. She was actually a duck. <laughs> I, every single freaking time you bring up that this little girl <laughs> was a goose. She was a duck. Okay, get it right. There's no gooses here. Okay. Geeses. Geeses. She was a duck. That was, we saw her. I will never forget it because I hear her little, small, cute voice and she's dreaming. We're in her dreams right now. And she's watching this handsome prince dance on a lake and she wants to dance with him, but she's a duck. She can't. So, and I was so moved by that. Did you resonate more with her being a ballerina or more so with her being a duck? I mean, I feel like we're all ducks. 
everyone has a duck in their life and that's i feel a like weird philosophical thing <laughs> i feel like everyone's a duck you know you wish you can be dancing with a prince but you can't because you're a duck also her name is duck um, <laughs> wait <laughs> I, mean, I, I failed to mention that our main character is duck and she is a duck that turns into a girl that turns into a magical ballerina so wait do people refer to her as Duck or they say like, look, it's Princess Tutu or they'd be like, yo, that's my homie Duck. Um, well, no one knows that she's Princess Tutu. So yeah, if she's going around, it's like, hey, Duck, where have you been? And then when she turns into Princess Tutu, it's, oh my gosh, Princess Tutu is here. And then she turns back to Duck and we're like, oh my gosh, Duck, you miss Princess Tutu. That is where we're at. That's where we're going here. Got it. <laughs> So, okay. Okay. So that was just the, that was just the main character. Okay. So we have Duck. Obviously she gets a magical amulet um, that turns her into a human. And while she's a human, she goes to the school for dance. So this school is all about ballet. Um, she goes to class, she goes to practice and she isn't the best ballerina. She's very clumsy. She doesn't know all the moves and she doesn't really believe in herself either so you were vibing um, with her i i i felt it <laughs> straight I off felt the it. bat you're like i also can't do the splits <laughs> i felt it i'm like wow i too cannot be a ballerina but in my heart i know i am and that's where she was <laughs> so i'm like obviously we are connected by some kind of magical energy so Things start to move on. We meet other characters. Um, I'm just going to tell you the most important characters. So you have the prince in her dreams is actually a real boy that goes to the school. And his name is Muto. Um, he is an upperclassman and he is the best male dancer out there. And, you know, also the hottest guy in school. So she's crushing on him. He's he's a little cutie. Love, love Muto. Don't ever say anything bad about Muto. I'm telling so you right now question okay muto also mm -hmm. goes to this dance school so he is also a ballerina yes yeah just painting so, the picture yeah, yeah yeah so both of them all everyone in the school is a ballerina everyone does dance in the school this is a ballet school and you don't really see any other classes except them going to ballet but it's a school so they have other classes we just don't see them. So after Muto, he does have a close friend. His name is Fakir. And Fakir is a jerk. He is the bad boy, but he's also a very strong dancer as well. And when we first meet Fakir, it's almost like he's bullying Muto, but it's kind of like a hate-love relationship between the two. Um, further on, you'll see how it grows, but I always love their relationship. Oh my gosh, I can't even describe the amount of things that they go through. So with all that being said, now we have to have a plot. We have to have a story. And why does Duck turn into Princess Tutu? I thought her being a duck was the story. No, it's part of it. It causes problems because the amulet that she has that turns her into a human, if she were to take it off, she turns back into a duck. So if she loses it, if she drops it, if it's not on her person, she can't be a human and she also can't turn into Princess Tutu. That's so that is like a good party trick, though. I like mean, if she like, wanted to. Hey, yeah. Let me take off my amulet. Boom. Duck. <laughs> Boom. And then she's a duck. And if you're wondering if her clothes go anywhere, they just fall to Apollo on the floor. So basically, when she turns back into a human, um, she's naked. So she has to go get her clothes back oh see i thought this anime was like g-rated but now you're telling me she's naked i mean obviously we don't see anything and she's also built like me a twig so it's nothing fun like so instant okay <laughs> we're gonna save that for later Thank like a you. green bean in a chocolate fondue fountain mm -hmm. i love that for me <laughs> I can't stand him. I honestly can't. <laughs> anyway, so the plot of the story is not that she's a duck. It is that 
in this town, in this setting where we're at, obviously it's weird that she's a duck and turned into a human, but there's also other creatures, other animals that can't turn into a human, but act like humans. So now think of like any kind of fairy tale nursery rhyme where like you have living, breathing animals being humans or having human-like qualities. And it seems like Duck is the only one that realizes that her dance teacher is a cat. And everyone's like, that's a Mr. Cat to you. Very weird. Come to find out that this whole town is basically one big story that is written by our so-called antagonist. His name is Drusselmeyer. And he has written this story and Duck turning into a human girl has triggered it. And now she has a goal and a mission. And her mission is poor Muto is missing his heart. And it is different shards of his emotions is scattered throughout this town. And her job is to get it all back into one and give it to him. So um, it's not like his physical heart. It's his metaphorical heart. Pretty much because each shard represents some kind of emotion. Um, so the the happier emotions are easier for him to accept um, because currently Muto doesn't feel anything. He's kind of like a doll. So now she's bringing him these hearts and these, these shards and these emotions and he can accept them. But then the harder ones like hate or sadness, it's harder for him to take because he's never felt it before. So that's kind of where the story is. And she goes throughout the town and each shard gets hidden within some character in this anime. So then they start feeling all those emotions. They start being like, they start feeling jealousy. They start feeling happiness, overwhelming happiness. They start feeling, you know, remorsefulness, empathy, stuff like that. And she's like, sorry, that's not for you. That's for Muto. And so when she transforms into Princess Tutu, she's able to dance with the character that has that shard and help them overcome these large feelings of emotions that they have that came from these shards. And then each one she has, she gives it back to Muto. And I, I mentioned before that Drosselmeyer is kind of an antagonist because you can't, he's crazy. You don't really know what he's going to do. But our real antagonist is none other than our popular girl, Rue. <gasps> the plot twist. The plot twist. We would have never guessed. But Rue is actually Princess of the Crows. And her name, when she turns into Princess of the Crows, is Crahi. And Crahi wants Muto to stay a doll because as a doll, Muto loves her. Of course, he doesn't really know what it is, but he's treating her as if he does truly love her. And if he gathers his emotions, he'll start feeling things for other people, mainly Princess Tutu, who are giving these emotions back to him. And so now we have the real antagonist fighting against Princess Tutu, trying to keep Muto's heart away and the other trying to give it back to him. And this is why this anime is so freaking good and so wait when you say fighting i assume you don't mean like a physical fight you mean like a ballet dance off yeah pretty much like twirls and your leg goes up and you're on your tippy toes and you're leaping into the air all this while communicating like no don't do this crazy and then she does a twirl and she's like you can't stop me princess tutu and that's basically what's going on here very very intense i'm sure <laughs> mm -mm -mm. i'm telling you when they when they lock eyes and they're both twirling at the same time you're just like wow it's beautiful it truly is okay and so we have, you know, all the characters lined up. We got the protagonist. We got the antagonist. Princess Tutu is fighting to like, get this man's heart whole. Mm -hmm. 
We're going to put a spoiler warning right here for Princess Tutu. If you don't want to know how it ends or anything like that, then skip a good couple of minutes. <laughs> and skip and, and then come back when you're ready. <laughs> yeah. So what ends up happening? Princess Tutu obviously is recovering these shards of his heart and fighting with this other ballet girl so does she get his heart together um yes actually so within this time frame we find out a bunch of things about the world about crazy about princess tutu herself and one thing that she's always been scared of as princess tutu is in the story that Meyer wrote once Princess Tutu confesses her love to Muto, she will die. She won't be able to be with him. So as the story is going, obviously she's falling in love with him and Muto is falling in love with her. And he asks her many times, um, how do you feel about me? Like you're giving me my heart back and I'm starting to get these feelings. And she's unable to say anything about it. As she continues on with her journey of giving his heart back, we now see more of Krahi and why she truly loves him. And they met when they were kids and Muto was a prince. And before he lost his heart, he was this kind, loving prince that found this little girl and was just like, hey, you the best out there. Never let anyone tell you otherwise. And she's like, I love you. And that was, that was, it didn't, it didn't take her a lot to fall, honestly, but Muto's a cutie. So it doesn't matter. So now we get to the final like battle. 10 out of 10 would bang. I mean, I, I won it. He, he looks 12. So, um, but he's cute. But he's at a the cute 12 year old. At the time, he was my age. So obviously I'm like, oh my God, where can I get a prince like that? I want a ballet boy who has a shattered heart that I can dance for and put back together. Obviously, I think every girl wanted that shoe. Can't or tell boy. me otherwise. Or boy. I mean, obviously, we have two strong um, male ballet dancers that did their, gave it their all during this anime. So not all about the girls. But now, final battle. And it's not against Krahi. It's actually against her father um, because she did not um take all of his shards like she said like she said she would so he got angry and he's like what are you weak or something and she's like no father I just love him and I love that he's getting all these emotions back because he can look at me like a normal person and not like he's dead inside so her father comes out and um it's a pretty big battle between him and Princess Tutu, who um, loses her amulet and is fighting him as a duck. It's okay, intense. Okay. okay. Like she's performing ballet on webbed feet. Yes. And she's a beautiful dancer. And so um, what is Krahe, which by the way, if she was a Michael Jackson impersonator, her name would be Krahe. But... <laughs> What is her father's, like, motive? Why does he want to have this kid not have a heart or feelings? Oh, it's because Muto, when he was a prince and he had his heart together, he defeated her father. He was able to defeat the Crow King. So now he has no heart, and Krahi is basically keeping him under wraps. So... Now Princess Tutu came and her father's like, listen, Krahi, you can't let him get his heart back because if not, he won't love you. And she had that in her head, like, oh my gosh, he's not going to love me if I give his heart back. And she thought that was more than him having his heart. So now that she realized that she wants him to smile and be happy for himself, she's no longer wants to work with her father so her father imprisons her. Princess Tutu is fighting against all these crows. And the last shard of his heart was actually the necklace that 
that Princess Tutu had to change her into a girl and Princess Tutu. She had to give that up for him. His heart became full and he went to go rescue Krahi, which despite everything Princess Tutu did, he chose Krahi. And when he rescued her, they got married. And um <laughs> you seem I'm sorry, a little this is, upset. I'm sorry. This is um this is a tough one for me because <laughs> Duck remains a duck. She can no longer turn into a girl. She is now a duck. And she spends her days with Fakir, who is a writer and he writes and he has a house by a pond that she just chills in and he comes out into the pond um and sits by it and writes and she just you know does duck things while Krahi and Muto live a happily ever after as a prince and a princess dancing the night away all night every night i mean as sad as i'm sure it is it does make sense because like if she had to give her necklace back right or she Mm -hmm. had to like take what was keeping her human out of it he can't be married to a duck and she's not gonna be back to being a human unless she has that yeah the plot twist of the century for Jada. It was hard. It was hard because the entire anime was just Duck loving him, silently loving him. From the very beginning, she dreamed about being with him and she did get to dance with him. She did get to go to class with him and and be that human girl. And at the end, she gave the ultimate sacrifice and he didn't stay with her. And it is really sad because she did the most that you got a heart because of her. And here she is, a duck. All right, people. (laughs) Okay. So I guess from an outsider's perspective looking in, because in case you haven't noticed, I have not seen Princess Tutu. Which he should, but he thinks it's dumb. So... It's you caught Princess Tutu at the time you were supposed to be watching Princess Tutu in the sense of you were the target market. I am a 23-year-old man and I don't (laughs) think I'm the target market for Princess Tutu. We'll agree to disagree on that. (laughs) I think you're just a little hater and you don't want to watch a beautiful little ballerina princess um, fight for her life. So I'm going to just leave it at that. Well, she's a duck, so. Um, she's more than that. We already established that she's more than just a duck. Okay, okay. Well, let everybody have their opinions about it. Please let us know if you've watched Princess Tutu and how you would rate it if you think it's as good as jada if you're on my side and you think like ma'am this is garbage (laughs) don't do that don't hurt my heart like that this is my first anime okay it has a soft spot in in my heart and um this is what started it all this is what got me into it and now i watch anime religiously so thank princess tutu okay thank her I mean, if we're passing judgment, I don't think my anime I'm going to talk about is exactly a masterpiece and a work of art. I I would kind of agree on that, but um, I have seen it as well. So, you know, you can see where my standards are. But you, you know what? Before we even do anything, go ahead. I The floor is yours, Cole. What anime <laughs> brought, what anime impacted your life? in such a way that you were just like, this is it. Okay. Well, before we get into my segment, we're going to cut for a little bit of a break here and we will be right back. 
before the break, we heard all about Princess Tutu from Jada. You guys got to hear my perspective and Jada's perspective on it. One of which is more educated. I will give her that. Yes, 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 yes. But now we get to go back to mine. And it's my turn to take you guys down the memory lane of how I got into anime. Yep, yep, yep. So I have a different way that I got into anime than Jada did. For me, I am a middle child. Not just a middle child, a middle of six. So I had quite a few older siblings that I hid in the shadows of and always wanted to do what they were doing like a little sibling does. And one of my older brothers was into anime and video games and all of that. And so when I would go over there and hang out with him, I would, of course, watch anime with him and play video games. So where Jada got pulled into it, I was kind of like gradually introduced and then went from there on my own as I got older. Nice. That's pretty solid. I feel like a lot of people have that too, just someone else to show them. I think that all the time about like, do people just stumble upon like an anime on Netflix like you did, but nowadays in 2020 and just be, wait, is it 2021? Yes, it's 2021. <gasps> Oops. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong year. Um, In 2021, are people just getting on Netflix who have never seen anime before and just stumbling upon something? Uh, I feel like we have a bigger community now and it's not as frowned upon as it was when we were younger. So I think it was more common for someone like me to stumble upon it and for now to be like, hey, I want to show you a show that I like and then see where it goes from there. So I feel like yours sound a bit more like in the now than mine. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think also what we need to take into account is that while I am older than Jada, we both were growing up in a similar time and decade and all of that, where, you know, you weren't just stumbling upon anime content. You know, YouTube Mm -hmm. wasn't super big. Uh, Netflix, when it first came out, was still just sending you DVDs in the mail. So that's all I was getting. And as well, you didn't have like TikTok and all of these things where you'll just be going and then randomly it'll be like, this character in this anime made me cry and all of that. Right, yeah. So I have no idea how my brother got into it, but he introduced me. And to be fair, I think I was like, I was probably in like sixth or seventh grade. So how old is that? Like 12 or 13? Yeah, yeah. So right about my age that you found it or in the same age range. Yeah. So I was like 13-ish years old. And the first anime that I watched is definitely not age appropriate. I'm going to let the people know that now. This Mm -hmm, anime mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is easily above PG-13, if not R, to semi-X rated at times. I'm going to say a solid R rated. Like an R plus. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But that anime I'm talking about is the lovely Witchblade. Mm-hmm. Now. Can you believe that? That being someone's <laughs> first anime. I watched I that years later and it's funny how like we can talk about it and I'm just like, wait a minute. That was the first thing you saw. Like not it's- even like baby steps. It's like mind blowing because you, I think, got like a typical introduction to anime of like a cutesy anime when you're young that like you're just like, oh, my God, I want to be a ballerina, too. And you like watch it. (laughs) Whereas me, I was like, 
uh, what's my brother watching going over there? And it was these big tittied women in armor <laughs> fighting each other, making moaning sex noises. And I was like, you know what? I see myself. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this series came out in about 2006. So it was pretty new when I was watching it. It was only a couple of years old. It follows the main character. Her name is. I'm gonna butcher this. I, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's a Japanese name, so do your best. Just do your best. Give her a I nickname if you have to. <laughs> I should have rewatched this before. So the main character, her name is Masane, and she becomes what they refer to as the quote unquote bearer of the Witchblade. For her, this happened not by choice at all which is the case for most people the reason being is because the witchblade is kind of this sentient conscious and intelligent being but Mm -hmm. is it just an ancient weapon and it gives the wielder these supernatural powers and kind of takes over them as an as a person so is it some type of like item that they have or is it like a person is it a ritual like is how can it like connect to them in that way so it is basically like a living organism but it just looks like a weird hand claw thing made of metal and so like a weird version of venom kind of in the sense of like it looks like a cage that like wraps around your forearm and then like has a red jewel in it the witchblade which people do not know how the witchblade chooses who it wants it just knows and it picks and it picked our main bitch masane Mm -hmm. and so masane gets basically taken over stockholm syndromed by the witchblade And her whole story throughout this anime is it's her and her daughter, whose name is Riku, and they are surviving the uh, earthquake that hit Japan. There was a massive earthquake. And so they don't have a place to live. They don't have money. And furthermore, Masane has almost no memory about what happened during like the period of the earthquake oh so she lost her wait was the earthquake the cause of her lost memory or was it the blade that found her so this brings us into an excellent point so you find out further down the line in the anime that what ended up causing the entire earthquake of Japan was because there were two rivaling companies. One was run by this wealthy businessman named Reji, I believe, R-E-J-I. Reggie. Reggie. Reggie, Reggie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if he's white, it's Reggie. If he's not, it's Reggie. Yep. But mm-hmm. either way, he is a wealthy businessman who owns this corporation who is completely invested in Witchblade research because they want to use it as a form of bioweapon. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. they want it, they want to study it, and then be able to use it. As humans right. do, we like to make everything a weapon and a competition. <laughs> <laughs> no anger towards that. And then we have his rival we'll say which is Tatsusoki and he is an owner of a different business he's a very wealthy man and he also wants the witchblade for very similar reasons now they both have kind of gone about it in different ways Riji has made these bioweapons which are just these tank looking things that fight people and he keeps them to himself so they shouldn't be attacking people and all of that. And just to, you know, I guess, win over ladies and fight his enemies. Mm-hmm. But then there are also the bioweapons that they look like human people. And then they shed their skin and they look 
kind of like robots, but not human robots at all. Like one is literally just a giant drill. And then the other one is this like tanning bed guy. He's really creepy. He walks around and goes, I have to make them warm. So wait, so wait, they turn, warm. they turn into these guys. They turn into them or, or, or they are them. Like you just wake up and you're like, I'm a tanning bed now. No, they were created by the company. Oh, shoot. Yes. They make tanning beds? Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> they got a lot of business ventures, okay? They they make tanning beds and they make corkscrews. <laughs> oh my God, I love that so much. And so we get introduced to these because, because these bioweapons can appear human until they're about to kill someone. They can just go about everyday life. And then people are like, oh my God, the bioweapons are out. They're starting to kill people. And then all of this and all of these conflicts and things centered around the Witchblade end up exploding massively. And that is because Rigi has a woman who he is in love with, whose name is Rena. And Rena is the owner of a clone blade. Now, the clone blades are made by Tatsusoki's company, and they are recreations of the witch blade given to women to have the powers of it. But not exactly. No, they're considered to be a little weaker, and it all has to do with how the clone blade interacts with their body and how they mesh. So we see some... Uh, and get introduced to some later who end up being like the main antagonists and they like pair with their clone blade super well. And a lot of it also has to do with bloodlust. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Makes, makes sense. The yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> bloodlust. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so what ends up happening is because these two companies are fighting and all of this, Rigi is in love with Rena. Rena is in love with Rigi. All of that. They are doing research on the Witchblade, and then at some point it goes wrong, and the factory explodes. Of course, it goes wrong. I feel like everything <laughs> goes wrong when you're dealing with some kind of alien bioweapon. It always does. But you figure out, again, big spoilers for Witchblade, guys. I'm just kind of popping around, telling the story and all of that. And Mm -hmm. so we find out that Rena had escaped with her baby that we did not know she had. And with it, she tried to, like, run away and she was going to mess with, like, the Witchblade research and all of that. And... The Witchblade, we end up finding out, is what caused this earthquake. It escaped, it caused the earthquake, and then latched itself onto Masane. And that was it. Yeah. Now, if we take a step back and we go to Masane's life, she is popping around. She's kind of on the run a little bit from, like, cops and, like, debt collectors and all of that. She has no Mm. money. She has nowhere to live. And she randomly now has this witchblade thing that she doesn't fully understand. Right. And then she starts to get approached by Rigi because he finds her and he realizes he can't remove the witchblade from her body because it'll kill her. Ooh. Yeah. And so he's like, okay, then you're going to work for me to help to like kill these bioweapons and all of that that are in Japan at the time. And so she's like, okay, are you going to pay me and all of that? She's a very sassy lady. She's very headstrong. I mean, yeah, I guess you have to be because someone's like either die or fight these things for me. Yeah. She's also not depicted as mom of the year, if we want to be honest. She loves Riku, and Riku Mm -hmm. loves her. There are so many just heart-wrenching scenes of, like, Riku screaming for her mom and Masane, like, trying her hardest to go to her and get her and very emotional Mm -hmm. stuff. She's just clumsy, and she 
it seems like she's a mother, but she doesn't know how to be a mother. But she's like really, really trying. Yeah. That's the vibe of Masane. And one of the other things she is very well known for in this movie is uh, packing a giant pair of uh, titties, as they are called. <laughs> um, which I believe is important to the Witchblade, because man, oh man, does the Witchblade put these titties on display? I mean, I think at this point it's a requirement. Like, someone can't just anyone can't just be the witchblade you gotta got something to show off because the witchblade don't got a lot to cover so Mm -hmm. and the reason that people who have a lot of bloodlust go well with the clone blades is because the witchblade kind of creates an alter ego for the bearer and this alter ego is what is it called when you like gain sexual satisfaction from like pain or hurting people like masochism and masochism and all of that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. whatever one of those is correct it creates this alter ego her hair turns red and long she gets this armor that is literally a c shape over the nipples (laughs) so boobs are out basically her whole midsection a itty bitty slimy 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 a little itty bitty tiny piece of what looks like a pepperoni pizza slice over her cooter and the best part whole ass out (laughs) like she is running around and those cheeks are whistling i love how that's the best part oh absolutely if you don't watch witchblade which first of all i think me and jada can both agree you should it's a cultural icon you gotta go through it at least once because you'll understand everything so much more if you're just sitting there looking at it and watching it you're like oh yeah this is bloodlust and this is like she's not the best mom (laughs) i mean it's even more fun to watch it too when boobies are just bouncing around exactly and in the pg-13 version she has armor over her tuchus more so if you're afraid of butts there (laughs) but if you don't get to watch the witchblade I encourage everyone to at least go on YouTube, Google Witchblade anime opening. This anime has, in my opinion, which is the law, Mm. the Mm -hmm. best anime opening and music of all time. I believe the song is called XTC and it is amazing. It's a great song. There's a scene in the opening where she takes blood and just draws two lines over her butt cheeks. <laughs> Exquisite masterpiece, stunning. I encourage um, everyone to watch yep. it as long as your mom's not around. Or anyone with a weak heart. Yeah, like if you were raised Christian like Jada, do not let people see you on this TV screen. Please, for everything good. The last thing you want to do is see an epic fight scene with your mom walking in and giant butt cheeks are on the screen. But yeah, in the fight scenes, this anime does its best to make sure the camera is low so you can see the butt cheeks or up above so you can see the titties. Yep. And that's awkward to explain if someone young or old comes in. Yes. And here's the thing. As a gay man... (laughs) (laughs) i did not drive any sexual pleasure from watching this anime in my head i was watching a badass like strong woman fighting for her daughter and fighting these epic fight scenes and all of that and i was like oh my god this is great this is amazing i love this it wasn't until i watched it when i got older that i was like oh this is like porn (laughs) pretty much and um as a straight woman uh i didn't really have the same like i mean obviously i thought there were badasses and i wanted to have titties that big (laughs) still haven't gotten them asked every christmas they still every birthday wish that 11 11 hanukkah all of it I did it all and I still don't got him. Um, but yeah, just rewatching, you know, I 
my favorite fight scenes, I'm over here like, wow, this was not for my audience at all. Oh, no. And that's the thing is this anime hit the audience that my brother was, but not me because I was too young. I didn't know what was going on. And it was far too sexual for me to be watching at that age. Didn't stop me, though. Still loved it. Still watched it. Mm -hmm. Still went through it. Here's the thing. I appreciate it. I love it. And I do think the characters are hot AF. If the Witchblade, if Masane kicked down my door right now and said, get over here, you little bitch, I would say, yes, ma'am. I can confirm that. (laughs) Yeah, like, come on. First of all, she's going to kill you if you say no. (laughs) That's true, too. But also, like, hello, she's hot af she's a she's a good looking lady um so i have a question so within within the witchblade so is there only do we only see one true witchblade or is she just fighting these different kinds of machines and clones and does she really get someone who matches her or is she just dominating the field so she is the only Witchblade. There is only one real Witchblade. Everyone else is a clone blade or is a bioweapon. The people she ends up fighting, of course, are the clone blades. The reason being is because Tatsusoki, as we know, rich man of company who makes right, these right. clone blades, he is sending his clone blade army witch. He calls his daughters because they are all made from this man's juices. So he is technically the father of all the clone blades. And it's weird. Nice. It's very culty. It's very creepy. All of them call him father. And he says like, oh, you're my favorite of my daughters and all of that. Mm. But Masane Throughout the whole anime, which it's a one season anime, you can binge it super quickly. Mm -hmm. She really only, every time she reaches her match, every time she is like pushed to the point of being stuck, which happens a couple of times, she is fighting different clone blades and bioweapons and she reaches her peak, but then she always just gets taken over by more power from the Witchblade. So it's kind of this constant, like, the scale is being pushed up of she stays at this middle ground, she reaches someone powerful, and she just jumps up higher than them constantly. And usually when that happens, it's her being more consumed by the Witchblade's bloodlust and by, like, the sexual-ish nature of all of it. So she, like, makes moaning screams and she's like, yes i want more i want to battle more like i can't wait to slice you up kind of thing so she gets powerful which is good because she can defeat her enemies but she starts to lose herself in it because this isn't like a cool power up this is like you're going insane and all you want to do is fight yeah each time if you think about the witchblade as a weapon, it's easy to just be like, oh, she's a powerful woman with a weapon. In my opinion, I would say the Witchblade is more appropriately categorized as a parasite. It, while giving this person power, is also killing them and draining them. And we Mm. see that with Masane throughout the anime of she has these huge battles where she gets really hurt and is able to recover but each time they're like hey like your internal organs are getting damaged and all of this stuff right and that leads into really like the big finale the biggest characters that are at play here i have introduced to you except for one and that is who becomes our primary antagonist miss maria Maria is someone with the body type of Jada, but she's white. And she is considered to be the most powerful of the clone blades that Tatsusoki has made. 
And the reason being is because she thirsts for power. She's this little girl who like has a stuffed animal with her, but is just wanting to kill things. And she just wants the witch blade because she wants to be powerful. And Tatsusoki thinks because she has paired best with her clone blade that she is going to be the most reliable bearer of the witch blade. Oh, okay. Now, Tatsusoki is called the father of the clone blades, as we know. But Mm -hmm. someone I mentioned earlier is playing a big part in this story, and we didn't even know it. And that is Rina. For a overview, Rina was Rigi's uh, lover. They were business partners. They worked in a lab together studying the Witchblade. And then she ran away with a mysterious baby. Keep that in Mm -hmm. mind. Mm -hmm. So Rina ends up working for Tatsusoki. And she is becoming what is known as the mother of the clone blades. So... Yeah. And you see her a couple of times throughout the anime. Her alignment appears evil, but she also has a very calming, neutral presence about her. And as you figure out her backstory of her attachment to Rigi, then you realize more so how she like is a true neutral. Mm-hmm. And she fights Masane a couple of times, along with a bunch of other of the clone blades. And we get the bomb dropped on us that Rigi and Rina had had sex. And they did the do. Not only did they have sex, but Rigi's juices were in Rina and created a baby. So this baby oh. she ran off with is his baby. Oh, shoot. That he had no idea of. Throughout all of this, Rena's over here doing her thing as a clone blade. Rigi's living his life when well, he's not working for him. Masane is working for him. But mm-hmm. throughout that, Masane is very sassy towards Rigi. Rigi is like, you're dumb. Like, you're just a tool to me and all of that. But mm-hmm. as it happens, they start fucking. And uh, of course. <laughs> No, of course. They become love interests of each other. Masane is living in this hotel with a bunch of quirky people who start to become parental figures of Riku, her daughter, and all of this stuff. We figure out as Rina enters the picture more that not only did Riji have a baby with her that she didn't tell him, her baby is Riku. Oh, Dang. Now, since Riku was obviously an infant, Masane was the one who found her and just assumed this was her baby because she didn't know. And so she took Riku with her. And Rina, while she was running as the earthquake happened, lost her baby in the fray and boom, boom, boom. Masane has Riku. Riku thinks Masane's her mom. Masane thinks she's Riku's father, which I'm just going to say, technically, I will say she is, whether that's adopted by blood, whatever. She risked her life to save this girl. Right. Yeah. She loved her. And so Riji's figuring this out and he's like, oh, my God, this little girl is my daughter and he's in love with Masane. But masane already knows in her head she doesn't have much longer and Mm. the bioweapons are starting to go out of control because they are attracted to the witch blade the witch blade is attracting these bioweapons they want to kill her and then at the same time maria is wanting to get her too because she wants the clone or she wants the witch blade right right so the end of this anime so masane's fighting she's killing the bioweapons riji's trying to help her riku is running through the street she escaped the hotel they were living at and is trying to find her mom and so then you're scared for her and you're like yes riji beat the bioweapons but then they very quickly get overtaken and he Mm -hmm. realizes that riku has escaped 
So he goes chasing after her in a car, trying to find her. Masane fighting everybody. She's fighting Maria, the clone blade. She's fighting the bioweapons. And she knows, she's like, I'm not going to win this battle unless I just, like, end everything. Mm-hmm. And so she climbs to the top of what is called Tokyo Tower. It's a floating island that was left there from the earthquake. It was the epicenter of the earthquake. That's where Masane was found. She climbs up to the top. This whole time she's fighting Maria. And Nice. Maria is about to go in and try to kill Masane, like get her final blow while Masane is weak. And Rina, the clone blade mother, pops in and kills Maria. Oh. Because Rina knows that power isn't everything, and that's all Maria wanted. She just wanted power. She just wanted the witch blade. So Rina pops in and just stabs her and kills her. And so then Masane goes to the top of Tokyo Tower. She lifts up her arm. She looks, she sees her daughter and she sees Riji them together. And she just says, I love you. She lets out a bright light. It kills all the bioweapons and her. Wow. And that's how this ends. What a queen. Like, to sacrifice herself, and before she even did it, just to make sure that her daughter was safe, was okay, before she could even think about doing anything else. And then she was able to let go and save everyone. And her strength of even with the witch blade, like, being in control, she was able to enough know where to dictate the battle towards Tokyo Tower She knew what she was doing and was aware. And at the very end, her eyes normally turn red when she gets taken over by the Witchblade. They turned back to their normal color. She's still full Witchblade and is able to, from a distance, speak to her daughter, tell her I love her before she goes. And the amount of strength that probably takes. And this is why Masane is Riku's mother no matter what. And so, yeah, it ends with her death and Riku and uh, Riji are reunited. And we can just assume they live a happy life together. I mean, after cleaning up the mess, but um, yeah, wow. It's, it's funny how both of ours ended on such a sour note, but it was so good. Absolutely. Like as much as like they are for different age ranges, mine is like an action fantasy. Yours is like more like fantasy love story. They have a lot of similarities. And I think those similarities are what draw people to anime in general. Right. Yeah. I think we all find tropes and different characters that we just like seeing. And with that, you know, it's almost like I said in the beginning, we're, we're used to seeing all these different ideas and characters. It's just how you give it to us that makes us stay. And for both of these girls who turned into more than what they were to help someone else, it just spoke to us. And, and here we are in the anime nerd community. Yeah. And then for me, after Witchblade, it was a constant influx of anime from my brother and it did take me a little bit to i think realize i could do it on my own you know and be Mm -hmm. like oh well my brother's like reading anime all the time and i wasn't that into reading as a kid so i was like oh i can just watch anime on my own and so i started doing that as i got older and For me, there was like a gap in between, though. It didn't become this like fluid chain. It was like I watch anime with my brother. I enjoy it. But then I go back to my dad's house and just like do normal kid things and watch cartoons and all of that. Right. Yeah. Eventually, as I was like reminiscing on Witchblade, I was like, I wonder what other animes there are. And then I started watching Toonami. Hmm the icon that is Toonami and so then it was you know 
Naruto, it was Bleach, it was Cowboy Bebop, it was Yu Yu Hakusho, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh! And, you know, then it just took off. Yeah, I mean, pretty much the same for me. I, uh, Me being the, the second oldest, but my older brother wasn't always there. So it was honestly just myself. And then whatever friends, you know, cared to share the anime secrets with me. Because again, at that time, it wasn't cool that you watched anime. But from that, you know, came my beloved Inuyasha and then Ranma and also Naruto, Dragon Ball, Yu-Gi-Oh! And it, from what me and Cole had, we basically had the same basics. And then it just like went across from there. Like we just once we hit it you know we had to hit all the right ones and that was it exactly and with that being said jada i think we're done yeah that was it that that was our first anime that got us into everything and it was so good it was so right it was so good we had a good time and Furthermore, we laid a lot of the groundwork for what you guys are going to see next. So this is going to be a series for us. Nerd Night is founded on the three principles, that being anime, movies, and video games, of course. So Mm -hmm. the next two episodes are going to be our first movie that got us into fantasy movies. And then furthermore, video games. And once we're done with those three episodes, we will kind of be flying off the rails with you guys and just picking things we want to talk about. If you stumble upon this podcast, we'd love to hear your suggestions of what you want to hear. We're going to be giving a lot of controversial opinions about anime and talking about the community as a whole, covering a wide array of topics, but keeping it in that nerd sphere. Yep. 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 Okay. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Nerd Night. And I hope you have a great rest of your night, Jada. Thanks for joining us, you guys. And I can't wait to see you guys in the next episode. It's going to be lots of fun. Do you think we were nerds enough? I think we're pretty nerdy. I think so, too.